Sometimes I come up with topics for talks, and sometimes, uh, I haven't done this in a while, but sometimes I come into the Zendo uh, at random and do uh, something we've called Mountains and Rivers, which is just answering questions, responding to questions, I should say, rather than answering them. And so I think we could do that today, Questions from Sangha, is the title. We could just, we could start with the, what's on your mind, what are you thinking about, or what can I help you with, possibly? If you don't have questions, I can always talk, I like to talk. Yes? Um, Nuno asked a question during yesterday's um, Dharma talk about um, enculturating our baby. Uh-huh. And I was wondering about um, how to find that area where you have an obligation to something but not to interfere. So like, maybe you have an obligation to protect something or to help somebody but to not mm-hmm. project onto oh, that. That's too good. Good thing to uh, reflect on, think about. And it seems to be better. This is why it is said in the sutras, don't set up standards. It's not saying you shouldn't have standards. It's just saying don't set them up arbitrarily based on afraid of not having standards. It might be better to not have a standard and actually watch the situation. The situations are constantly in flux and changing. And it might be better to approach every situation that we that comes up with just including it, being aware of what it is, and not immediately jumping to some kind of a threat that we have to stop. Uh, we have to make sure we prevent that from happening before it does. And so I think uh, the situational part, be there, watch what's happening. Your child, who is a little over two months now, uh, Rumi, is uh, uh, he's going to be, having had several children myself, all very much different from each other. They function differently, their karma is different, their, their disposition, their way of, of learning. It's just, I could go on and on, as we all could. So I think it's very important to tr- train your mind, your you and uh, Senchu, and uh, of course you're living in a community where this is an emphasis. People are trying to, using the teachings of the Buddha, trying to be more clear, more sincere, more genuine, more direct, more uh, uh, responsible. And I don't know if that can be done by just making a plan and with a bunch of rules and just following that. That's uh, uh, that can't. It's, it's okay a little bit, but it can degenerate um, into a kind of fundamentalism where all we're doing is locking down on every idea rather than actually seeing the incredible spaciousness around every moment. So you would have some guidelines set up at a time that are kind of, don't even have to think about it. Just not going to leave uh, someone that young alone for very long. You're going to watch them. You're going to watch how they, how they learn and work with them where they're at. So a specific question might be good. Um, I'm wondering about you know, as we have here at the temple, there's a lot of forms that are not rules. Mm-hmm. But is it necessary to have more rules when it, you're dealing with somebody younger? That's good. Well, I'm sure you've noticed that you can't really go by the way you were raised. And I wasn't even there, but I, I know most of us were raised with 
too much space or too little space or just to, but uh, as far as being raised by a parent, uh, your guardian, your caretaker, whatever you want to call them, uh, in a way that's balanced where they're really uh, acknowledging your own individual intelligence and that you need to be nurtured in that area. And also, but not going in so far that you're getting in the way of someone's, because that eventually that person is going to be uh, the age that you are when you're taking care of them. And uh, their <laughs> their hindsight into what was happening to them may be, um, you know, it's dependently arisen, so it's hard to say things aren't as separated as they sometimes look. So... I'm just saying they could be taking your inventory at some point about what, how you handle them, even though you thought you were doing great. Some people, some especially religious organizations, like want their children to practice what they're practicing. And I, if I, I say this over and over again, and maybe I even bark it occasionally. Don't meddle with your children. That doesn't mean look away from them or ignore them or let them spin around, but wait and get your signals from them as to what should be done. This is what I told uh, the children's, uh, uh, when children meditate, the little um, workshop, whatever you call it, in, uh, we did in Kalamazoo here a few weeks ago. Was there 10 children there? There were some parents there, and the parents had asked me no questions, which was a little disappointing, because I had all kinds of answers all lined up, probably about 15 or 20. And so I finally just had to tell them something. Uh, I was mainly talking to the children about, uh, uh, you know, using their uh, metaphors and language. Um, but I finally said, "Don't meddle with them. Don't if they if they don't meditate, then don't 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 ever suggest meditation to your children. Let them find out what that is. Leave them alone. You meditate, and then they say, "Come and sit down. Good." But if you come, you go meditate again. Don't say, "Do you want to meditate with me?" It's not helpful to them because their working, their way of working with concepts and ideas and everything and so on are are much different than an adult who can say, "No, I don't want to meditate." They, there's too many things involved with that. That you're you're their boss, so there it needs to be their practice. So if they decide they want to sit down and hold still and do. Uh, sitting frog meditation, which is what I taught. Uh, wiggling monkey meditation is the other one that I taught. And of course, that's the one I think they liked the most because they got to run around. It got worse every time I did the, the say, wiggle, uh, monkey meditation. I mean, they just, if they could have flew, they would have they all over the place. Quite to the, uh, I think they're, maybe the parents may have been a little weirded out by that. <laughs> but uh, as I've, as I've, uh, we talked about her at another time when the, there was one bell, the light of the high, high pitch bell was for the monkeys and then the gong was more solemn and that was for the sitting frog. And after we'd done that, what, maybe half a dozen times or something like that, when we finally got back to the end of the night, uh, just, they were all doing, um, I think, uh, uh, contact awareness practice, moving around and bumping into each other, doing that one that Senshu was uh, leading that. And I went and sat down and hit the gong, and they all, it was, it was just like uh, like a vacuum cleaner on each one of those cushions. They went, the, the adults were still trying to figure out what was going on, but the children were came back and actually were little frogs 
So, and it kind of shows you that uh, it shows you that it's about the awareness of someone, not about getting them to follow an order. So very, it's you know, it's as they say, fine line. So I would say the basic response to the question is uh, just observe. And if you really need to do something there, uh, the very situation that's arising, you will be able to work creatively. Creatively, if you're able to ask that question, then you're you have the creativity to be able to to have the willingness to be a little uncomfortable with not knowing what to do. Not knowing what to do is called awareness. Um, I had just a question about discipline. Yeah. Sometimes when we talk about discipline here, it's more about just get yourself to the cushion or it's kind of a self-imposed no. discipline. Is there any type of discipline that should be coming from somebody else? For, for a child. Uh, I think the attention and being there and interacting in the communication is the important part rather than uh, shaking your finger and, and ordering them around. On the other hand, with my children, and not that I was a, did so great, but uh, I had had such a difficult upbringing, we'll say, uh, that I kind of saw that probably would not be a good model to follow. So I tried to think, did a lot of thinking there in the 60s, and uh, tried to think about how, and I read a book uh, by A.S. Neal called Summerhill. Has anyone read that? I probably read 15 books a week. So anyway, this was a book on... Uh, just the opposite, just completely letting children do whatever they want to do, no matter what. It was, it was in, I think it was in England or it was in Europe anyway. We had that on our shelf growing up. Did you? Somewhere yeah. else? Yeah. Did they? I never read it, but my mother was mother into, read it. into psychology, child psychology. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing. Uh, and uh, the fellow who wrote it uh, was started a whole school and they, then his examples, like, uh, you know, like I'm getting to give you an example of the children. I hit the gong and they all come back so that, and he was his example for to, to promote what he was doing like I'm giving you an example to promote what I'm doing what I'm saying his example was uh, 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 they were allowed to not go to school or whatever and one uh, child uh, all he did is play and build tree huts and climb around and run up and down and play war and everything and then when he was 16 he found out there was such a such a thing as an, an instrument repairman were, you know, complicated, like an oscilloscope and all kinds of things. Found out about that, wanted to do that, and within uh, within a couple of years, uh, got the education he needed to to function in that way. Something that would generally take a lot, a lot. I mean, went through high school and the whole thing, learned the whole thing. That was his example of people, they'll do it when they, they get around to it, if they need to do it. So there were some, probably some other examples there, too. So I think there's something to be said there. I think they kind of, because of this uh, culture that he was dealing with, I think they kind of went the other way. So, again, Buddhism, middle way. Take, take, take a look at the situation and see if there isn't a, some kind of a, a natural balance that could happen that could just come out of your awareness of what seems to be out of balance, like the child is doing something they shouldn't be doing. It's something dangerous, uh, no explanation. Don't get into any philosophy. Uh, just don't do that. Why? Because I said so. You all, you all heard that one. So, and that that actually works if you don't add to it. If you don't add anything on, make it more complicated. Just I remember. I want to go back through all my stories, but I remember. Um, if you have a lot of kids, I don't know if anybody here has, but you can't help but be biased. You can't help but have better communication with one than the other, and so. Don't lie about that because they see it. They can. They know. 
that you, uh, they might call it, you like Melvin better than you like me. I didn't have any kids named Melvin. <laughs> but, and, you know, the, the, and you need to respond to that in some way that's just genuine. And it might not be, yes, I, you know, uh, I like, you know, I love you all. Or it needs to be something where, um, where it's where it's something that they could actually perceive too. So, uh, I remember one situation between my young people, children, is that I said, "Well, I, communication seems to be better there." That's all I said about it. Uh, they never responded. So I don't know what I've never had a talk with that particular one of my children since then. So I don't know how they took that, but it, it seemed to be that less was better. They're all very unique individuals. I don't know. They could have been up there. I think they're somebody else's kids or not mine. <laughs> so, further questions about anything, actually? When you were talking about uh, the when children meditate and you, you said to let the, let the kids find out on their own or to search for that on their own, you said something like if they sit down with you once, um, don't and don't ask them the next time if they want to. Um, when does an invitation become meddling? So I, it's dependent on the whole situation in its entirety, so I can't give you a description of when it would be, but it is a time uh, when you're interfering with the, 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 the very volition that the young person is, is, in, is trying to develop out of their understanding of their environment and their situation and their relationships. So it's it's uh, so you have to be uh, fairly aware yourself of how much if you're not taking responsibility for your own negativity, and that means not trying to get rid of it, not trying to explain it, and doing nothing and not ignoring it. If you're just there, it's just there. So you're not separate from anything. You're not se separate from the window. You're also not separate from your own negativity. And if you continue to try to find methods for getting, then you'll you'll treat uh, your child or any other person with some kind of attitude if they need correction or something needs to be adjusted. Nothing needs adjusting. More? You follow me? Can you paraphrase what I just said? I was a little distracted from the movement in the room. Hmm. Do you know how incorrect that is? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd take a swipe at you. <laughs> <laughs> How Joseph. can you tell the difference between uh, meddling and setting limits? Well, the limits are well, the limits are based on what how you're working with the whole situation. Like you say, uh, you know, some things you're going to have to set limits on. There's no way, of, but but don't have any philosophy behind it. Just have it very simple, so there can be. Get any kind of discussion you have about it, and your children are sitting right here. So, uh, don't have any, don't don't back it up with any kind of validation. But just say this is what it is. So, uh, for instance, you know, I don't think it's something. Uh, can, can you give an example? Um. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, I've told Marlena that I would like her to participate in the sign. Yeah. So you shouldn't do that. Sorry to correct you in front of your uh, daughter. Why not? Should be her. Should she? She needs to decide what she wants to do. do it. I mean, I'm always happy to have, have any children here, but you asked me. Yeah. So 
I'm saying. But when, when you say that uh, there should be no philosophy behind it, mm-hmm. like to me, that's a limit that has just arisen that I see that it has to be done. So Okay, so the natural part of it is you come here. Uh, she, you know, comes, but she stays in the other room, and that's fine. She didn't have to be in here. So well, I haven't said that she has to come into here. Okay. I, I said that I want her to participate in, in a sangha. It yeah. could be of her choosing as well. Oh, okay, well, I didn't understand that. Yeah. So, yeah, she goes to church, so, so that's fine. So I misunderstood. I thought you meant this sangha. Well, this is an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less is better, more than likely. Tanya. And is there value in rebellion or is rebellion yeah. rejection? Who are you rebelling against? Just thinking the yeah. part that we chant where it says um, like a fool, like an idiot. Yeah. And another phrase that comes up is uh, religion is the opium of the people. Mm-hmm. So the, the two contrast. Yeah. Well, religion is the opiate of the, isn't that Karl Marx said that? Yeah. So um, Karl Marx wasn't a meditator. <laughs> well, well, and to it also seems to contrast with the self gift that we talk about last Sunday. When yeah. if we're just serving like fools, like idiots, is that our self gift too? So yeah. So the idea there is to is to is to kind of interrupt or meddle with the constant refrain of the ego that this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this, this is not worth anything. And the, the idea there is to encourage you to have a willingness to just not know and just be, a willingness to be confused, a willingness to even feel like an idiot occasionally, because that's the language the ego will use to try to get you to stop trying to examine it. Ego does not want to be examined. E- ego self-centeredness, the me, me, me feeling, the me, I'm right, or me, I'm wrong in some cases, does not want any awareness coming that direction. It wants to uh, retain its apparent singularity and identity and uh, sovereignty. And so when it says like a fool, like an idiot, it's just, it's trying to encourage you to just sit there anyway. Go ahead and if you've, if you've, if you've come to the spiritual path, you've come to this path of awareness, uh, um, you know, get, don't, don't jump ship. Get on the get on the train or get on the boat. Get on the the conveyance, the vehicle, which in this case is the Mahayana path, and don't get off. And just stay on it. So sometimes we start to think I should go, I should go, I should go back and do this other practice I used to do, or I should uh, I should I should leave the teacher and go back to another teacher I used to have, which someone just did recently. Not a good idea. Not wrong. It's just that it's circular. It's just like you've gone and you've gone and you've gone, and then you 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 actually evaluate based on your uh, anyone's limited understanding, uh, and then you've decided to change course and go another direction. Actually, step off the path and step into a circular. It's called a rest area. <laughs> step into that. So that that's that. And then religion is the opium opium of the uh, opium of the people. Is a uh, it's just a 
political stuff, just talking about he was promoting a particular way the society he calls society should function. I'm not saying right or wrong, but just to make that his my understanding of of that is what he was saying is that sometimes people use the structure of religion to believe in something higher as a, as some kind of a, a saving grace for so you don't have to investigate just have faith in that whatever that is and then those who are in charge of all that those who are uh, uh, at the head of the whole thing they're, they're going to run everything and so you have to answer to them you, you don't you don't really look to your own understanding you look to someone else's and in this tradition you actually get the help of a of a teacher but if that tr- teacher is trying to manipulate you in some way uh, if you have a strong awareness practice, that will probably show up. So any kind of, uh, uh, call it opium, could be, could be like a drug, I guess. You could use that as a metaphor. It might happen in some cases. Sometimes we talk to people whose, whose belief situation is, is they just don't question anything. There's nothing at all. It just seems kind of odd, but some people, that's the way they want to function. and They should be respected. And in other words, hands off. Let them have their, that, this, uh, this is a bigger picture than it looks like. And I don't believe in past lives either. And you know what's coming next. I know they disbelieve in past lives. No position, no position. This is basic uh, teaching of Nagarjuna in the first century, Madhyamaka. Everything is empty of, any, of everything, including Madhyamaka. No structure. You don't need. You don't need any structure. All you need is your. Uh, is what is what is here. You don't need anything extra to be uh, to laminate on top of you, including Buddhism. More. The rejection and rebellion are the is there value on rebellion? Like you said, don't do anything unless you have to. So that's in the possibilities to rebel. So what's your question? Um, what, when is rebellion something we have to? What do you think? How does it look to you? It looks like an impulse. It doesn't... If it looks like first thought, first, first thought. So that's why don't do don't do anything unless you have to. Now, generally speaking, a kind of rebellion it seems the way you're using it is probably just really strong, uh, self-justified, self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. I've got to do it my way, or, I can't, or a feeling of being closed in or chained or locked or something. But it's so it's so very. I mean, there's no way to set it up and say. This is always going to be this way. It might show up the other way around. There might be might be some kind of something that you would maybe call rebellion. Might happen in different areas that uh, it's just the way causes and conditions show up. That you so the right and wrong thing is something we as soon as we start doing right and wrong, that all of the awareness about the situation or investigation uh, comes to a halt. So it's better to what's the old saying? Keep an open mind. How do, how do you do that? You see how closed it is. And don't meddle with it. Don't try to open a closed mind. Yours or anyone's. Andrew, we see one of the three poisons. Are the other two there, even if we don't see them? 
Uh, you, using those concepts, I would say, yes, it's just a way of breaking it apart. But yes, there's a, the primary one is ignorance, closing down, just ignoring the open spaciousness of everything. It's, it's ignoring that everything is perception only. And then we, and then we get into a plus or minus in there that further shields us from seeing how much we're uh, stupid. Description only, not a judgment. Yes. Earlier to my question, you brought up the idea of being responsible for our own negativity, and often you you look at res or you talk about responsibility as the ability to respond. Was what is it to be to respond to our negativity if it's not hooking it up? Just receive it, be aware of it. It's going to show up in different ways with different clothing, different postures and so on. But it's the practice is about just like the sitting uh, shikantaza, sitting practice, sitting practice of meditation, sit down, hold still, watch what arises in any of sense fields and without doing anything with that. That's a, takes a long time. It takes a lot of that practice to be able to slowly, you could say it this way, to slowly just slow down that kind of low level reaction to every damn thing that shows up. I like it, I don't like it, it should, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. It's, it's all the addition and subtraction that's going on there. It takes a while, you have to really look at that for quite a while. And then there's there's no guarantee of anything. So there's no, there's no uh, the cause and the plus and minus cause and effect part actually gets transcended. So relative truth is relative truth until it's not. And so when I say until, I have to use some kind of a dynamic, so I'm gonna use time, until. That's like when you, and you go the other direction with the plow in the field. Until. <laughs> you ever done any farming? Kind of look like a farmer. Sound like one. Huh? Sound like one. <laughs> I sometimes say if I came in and put on bib overhauls and a big straw hat, had a hay seed out of my mouth and sat up here, uh, everybody would leave. Or wouldn't they? You stay here? Maybe I'll try that. I think I did wear a clown suit once, didn't I? Cowboy. Oh, cowboy hat. Okay. Must be I'm thinking about wearing a clown suit. How is devotion something we receive? I think we receive it in ourselves. I think we, we, we have some kind of realization. It's just as my understanding of it, it might show up differently for, for everyone. My understanding of it is uh, devotion is to my uh, original teacher was something that I I resisted, didn't want to do. I did not want to turn myself over to someone else, uh, and, I, and actually I didn't really end up doing that. But just that that kind of fear of what if somebody else gets up a hold of my mind and controls me or makes me this becomes a cult or something like that. So I think uh, it's. Uh, it's receiving how uh, receiving all the opposition to the devotion when you act because if you meet that situation you you realize that on some level probably if you're even doing it even considering uh, uh this a spiritual path at all and you have a teacher then on some level you really are resisting it's a resistance you need to look at rather than uh, than uh, uh, rather than some kind of coming to a conclusion about it just look at the resistance 
the resistance is is that very energy of devotion. More. What is devotion? Love. But there's no there's no lover. There's nothing. No one is loved. There's just just that. You want to know how it's expressed? Sure. Face the wall. What does the teacher? What does the teacher tell you to do? I mean, actually tell you to do. Okay, so. Yes. What else does the teacher tell you to do? Anything? Face the wall. The teacher uh, is just saying, "Look at your mind." If you understand what I say, you don't need to need, read another book. You don't need to. You don't need to listen to me. You don't need to do anything else. You can leave here and uh, move to Montreal. But you have to continue to do that. And it's very difficult to do that without a teacher, without a teaching, without a sangha. That's why there's the three jewels because it, cre- it creates a strong container so that you can you can continually return to square one, return to beginner's mind, return to beginner's mind. It takes looking at a lot of uh, uh, falsified information in order to get to the truth. Yeah. How is resistance? Um, can't remember how you phrased it, but the energy of love. Energy. Well, you know, I don't want to get into physics because then I'd have to, <laughs> you know, I'd have to talk to who would I talk to? How many physicists here do we? I don't think so. So then, uh, but we—it's—it's it's energy. It's—it's it's just energy, like sunshine. No, anything like that is a simple idea. It keeps us warm, but also can burn you. So it's so there's a balance that needs to happen there. Not too tight, not too loose. So we tend to, if there's confusion in our minds, if we keep having trouble with our emotions and our feelings, and we 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 aren't aren't able to be um, compassionate or be good hosts, be uh, be. Um, or make friends with ourselves. That deep kind of uh, difficult emotions that come up with no with no uh, description, no label. You don't know what they are. They're just dif- difficult, and it's very difficult for. On top of that, for someone who has not inspected their self-centeredness and not seen through or begun to see through their that for that to not turn into some kind of a negative propaganda, whereby we need to. We need to take that negative energy and, and call it this, call it that, or do something about it. We need to do something. We need to stop meditating. We need to meditate a different way. We need to join the, the Peace Corps. We need to do something else. We need to um, move to Montreal. Does resistance take away from devotion or love? Just don't, don't, don't do, don't, you don't have to try to be devoted. Just look at your mind. Just watch your mind. See your mind, what happens in the mind. Awareness is like, is like sunlight. Not to get romantic about it, but look at it. It's everywhere. Doesn't even ask permission. Comes right through the windows. It's just like that. It's everywhere. And so when one begins to realize this and still there's still a human form happening, then it's no big deal. It's just ordinary. Uh, Tibetans call us a tamagishepa. Ordinary mind is is vast, 
and without end. Form. Robert. Is there any delineation between devotion and faith? Interesting, interesting words. I would think they, depending on the individual, they might come together more in one person and be more separate than someone else. Faith isn't, uh, in the Buddhist sense, isn't, isn't exactly belief. Uh, it's more like uh, uh, seeing that there's some things that there, there isn't going to be any proof for. That, that, that the spiritual path is one, that the, the faith is not believing this is going to work. It's just that knowing that um, what's the, the traditional way of saying a path with heart, a path that something about the path has some kind of deep meaning to it that is that is not particularly propaganda, and nor is it a set of concepts. Uh, hard to say what it is. The ego has trouble with that. The ego keeps trying to to appropriate that energy for itself, so it can get its way and it can move to Montreal. And devotion would be, uh, I think, similar. Sometimes that's used devotion. Devotion to the teaching, devotion to the path, devotion to the, to the Kalyanamitra, or spiritual friend, companion in the virtue. Yeah. So then there's development of texture that transcends into um, beyond faith. It could. Okay. Yeah, it could. It, it's some, sometimes the whole relative thing is gone. Uh, read uh, read the verses from the center. Uh, the garden is... Uh, Mulamadamika Karika, translation of it. And it's, and he basically says, and of course he has a position of having no position, basically says that any position is, he's, he basically does away with philosophy altogether. There's just this. And you can certainly, you're certainly welcome to go ahead and have thoughts about it and construct all kinds of things. Questions? Can we lock down on trying not to set up standards? No, you could lock down. You know, you do any any of that's possible, but it's always about awareness of what's happening, rather than you know some kind of that never happens anymore. So the awareness doesn't do anything, but the phenomenon moves this way and that way and this way and that way, and we agree and we object and we have to shut down, and at some point we stop doing all of that. Because we're, we're no longer separating ourselves out as some separate entity who can win or lose or live or die or any of the polarities. Thank you. Um, are there any relative values that need to be imparted? Sure. Don't kill. Don't kill. And if you do kill, be really aware of what's happening there. Go ahead. You, I interrupted you. How do those become imparted? I really don't understand your question. How do those, I mean, you know, a bucket of them on you? <laughs> you know, um, a whole trailer load coming? How, how do you mean? That's, uh, it confuses me that your, your question is coming in, in, in such a form. So, so say it specifically. Don't, don't, don't be abstract at all. Just say, so tell me, what is it? What is it you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. What is it? 
You just received the uh, Jukai 16 precepts. <clears throat> Those are the, the 10 uh, grave precepts. Don't kill, don't steal. But also, don't kill is there's only one life which is unkillable. Not to interrupt the mound of the present moment. There's no taking life preset. I don't remember the long form of the rest of them, but that, that's a pretty good one to don't kill. But on the other hand, there's a there's an absolute form of don't kill. Don't kill. That's a standard. And it's it's uh, 2,500 years ago, they were all the different, what was there, two, 250, 300 or whatever, rules and laws and everything. And then the Buddha, he's kind of a smart ass. He said, uh, when, when he was getting ready to die, he says, just, just keep some of those. But he didn't tell them which ones. So then the Theravadans kept all of them. And then, it, uh, then later on, different schools, if you've ever studied any uh, Buddhism over the last 2,500 years, it's extremely complicated. Schools and all the names have uh, too many consonants. <laughs> so without um, meddling, how do values... Mm-hmm. Kevin Harvey over generations. Okay. I think, well, they they can be just a rule that you lock down and don't do this, do that. There's something you follow or obey. Or it can be something that is uh, that has more movement to it. That, that has, uh, that you could say, breathes. Just like you can't, if you're, if you're alive, you can't help but kill things. This doesn't mean go out and go to Africa and kill lions. So then is it the resistance that uh, is the energy behind that? Why do I have so much trouble following? <laughs> is it the resistance? Well, if you have a relative truth. Um, okay, I got it. That you're resisting. I got it. It was a, it was a yes or no question? It's upside down. <laughs> then no. But if it's the other way around, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to listen to this. Because I don't to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. We have time for one more question. And then what do you have to do? Well, then it's the final. Um, it's the final daily dharma again. Okay. Yes. Shoshi. That's something that I was thinking about the other day was the, the qualities or differences or similarities between the. Uh, Attachment or grasping or hope, and the idea of intention, which looks like it has similar qualities. Could you say something? Hope? Intention on one hand, and hope, or that that sort of, in in my mind, the concepts kind of bind together this idea of hope hope and grasping and attachment and Mm -hmm. clinging. What's the question? Can you talk a little more? Are there any qualities that you can discern between intention and uh, grasping? Or, uh, yeah. I think so. I think you intend to do something, there's going to be some kind of grasping, but it's not about getting rid of grasping. Uh, if there's a physical form, there's going to be some kind of grasping and some kind of pushing away, and there's going to be some kind of, uh, you can't drive a car down the road unless you ignore all the trees going by. So there has to be that, relative, you have to live in relative truth. It's when we start becoming uh, political about it, 
the politics of experience will, uh, with the ego at the helm, will take us in areas that are, can be actually not only harmful to our own, ourselves, but to others that we're living with and so on. So the, there's always some hope happening. When I say um, hopelessness, I'm not saying get rid of it completely. Just don't make it, make it the main theme of your life. We've got to have hope and we have to, when we have a really difficult situation and we have to have hope. Because we, that energy goes into that actually might be some relief because we're having hope, but we take our eye off from the, the negativity, which some people will call uh, nihilism. And as Buddhists, we call it it's just, just, just the way it looks. Everything is impermanent. Everything that manifests goes down or dies in different uh, at different times. So I'm not sure if I help help clarify that at all. If a more specific question, I'll try again. No, oh, I, I appreciate that. That's yeah. good. I, I think just. Uh, so we'll stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our yellow chant books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. We appreciate and depend upon your generous donations and financial support. We also accept PayPal online, checks in the mail, cash, and we can also take your debit and credit card. Thank you. May bear this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who's unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light. 